Homestyle Green, episode 111. Permaculture isn't muesli. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to build a better place to live. And this week I'm very pleased to be talking with Andrew Stevenson from Bell Stevenson's Architects. And they are based in Mochueka, in the top of the South Island. Absolutely beautiful part of the world. I actually lived in Mochueka for a summer, working as a sea kite guide there for a little while. And uh, oh, it's a stunning place to uh, to live. But Andrew and uh, Gabrielle do work all around the country and even overseas as well. In fact, one of their growing client base is uh, overseas people who want to create a home for themselves here in New Zealand. I will let uh, Andrew explain a bit more about why he does what he does. But before we do that, I'd like to say thank you to our wonderful sponsor, ProClimber. Now, if you are looking at doing a, a design or maybe even a renovation of an existing house or, or ripping off some linings, improving the envelope of your home, then you definitely should check out the range of products available from ProClimber. Walls have got a bit more complicated than they used to be, and we are getting better at sealing up our houses, which is a good thing because that leaves us with more control over heat flow. But we also need to be conscious about what's happening to moisture, and that's where the team at ProClimber can really help make uh, your home perform the way it should. So check them out, ProClimber.com or proclimate.co.nz. Now, I started out by asking Andrew why he does what he does. Well, as an architect, I get to um, uh, a unique and, and, and wonderful opportunity to design new um, environments, homes, spaces for people. And I've always said that I um, take people's dreams and make them a reality. And that's not only in architecture, but um, in, in lifestyles or environments. And and I, I feel that's still the same today. It's still true for me. I just love creating new opportunities, new environments um, for other people. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you always were attracted to? Yeah, it was actually – I remember um, that question was asked us when we went first – um, to university in Wellington in Victoria and um, I basically came up with I thought about it for a while and thought I like people taking people's dreams and making them a reality and um, it's it's always stayed true it's um, it's uh, something that I've always been able to state fairly clearly actually and nice. that's, it's always been the same now we were just talking before and you moved away from architecture for a brief period but then mm. decided to come back to it why was that um, I was actually, we've just had a roof shout for a client that we're just working for, and I was telling them about the same thing um, this afternoon. When I was, um, oh, when did we leave? Gosh, 2006, 2007. There was um, a large um, increase in cost uh, to the construction industry, and the days of um, being able to, you know, suggest to a client that buildings could be done for a thousand dollars a square meter um, was starting to disappear, and um, I kept trying to, I suppose, find solutions, but in the end, I couldn't um, because the prices were just simply going up more and more. 
And I got really tired and sick of being the messenger to tell people, sorry, you can't actually afford what um, you think you you can and um, wanting more than they could for their budget. Right. And it's got worse and worse. And so in yeah. the end, um, at the same time, uh, we'd started or created our own business in, in Tauranga and um, we had three kids and I was spending more and more time away from them and we decided as a family that we'd um, – Spend more time as a, as, as a family, basically. And so we um, actually created a home for ourselves um, in an 11-meter bus and started traveling and just loved it so much that in the end we decided to do that full-time. Nice. So um, we did that for five years. Wow, just traveling around. Yeah, there was a stint in the middle where we did take a break and I went back to work, but I worked for Becker Architects and mm. uh, realized quickly that I wasn't really built for a large corporate. Um, you, you would have been in a, in a cubicle. I was. I was in the, <laughs> those chicken coops. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the kind of architecture um, that Becker was doing didn't really suit um, what I was used to or, or enjoyed. And so um, it was a means to an end. Right. And um, and so we decided to jump back in the bus again and um, uh, travel down here and decided we'd um, settle down here. We, we always knew the bus life would come to an end at some stage, and um, uh, we thought it would be a two-year project, but in, in the end it turned into five, and then in the end the kids were the ones that said, no, we, we want to actually have a real home and a, <laughs> and our real friends that we can see every day and, and after-school jobs and sports and girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. We thought, okay, that's fair enough. And so, so you were doing the, the tiny house thing before tiny house became trendy? In a way, yeah, we actually lived in 22 square metres ourselves, family of five. 22 square metres. We um, we just loved it. Yeah. Um, but it has to be a well-designed space. And so some of the things that we did in the bus um, was layering of functionality, basically, um, having spaces that had multiple uses. And um, What were some examples of that? Well, we've got a, um, a website, funforfive.com, and on there is a manual that you can um, view and download. And um, there's pictures I took of um, the example used most, which is um, our dining table. Yep. Which, um, there was a, a proprietary sort of swivel table you can get, and we got two of these, and they were on the, either side of the bus next to the um, sofas, two sofas that sort of faced each other. Yep. And we'd swivel these things so that they connected in the middle and you could lock them together. And then we had pipes made so that they fed in underneath these two tables and you could put additional leaves on either side of um, these two tables. And it expanded the table so you could actually um, have up to nine people sitting around it. And we took it further and put pipe legs that then um, supported it either side and you could pop it off those two supports that were swiveling and take the whole table outside and have a dining table outside. But then the, the, the final use for this was to actually um, bring it back inside and set it on little ledges on the edge of the sofa and then it turned into the whole thing into a bed. So there was six uses out of these little tabley things and um, we just saw that as a really good example of permaculture. Um, you know, creating more uses, three or more uses out of, of something. And so our dining area was also our lounge. It was also our guest bedroom. It was also, um, you know, just swiveled the seats around and it became um, traveling for um, five of us when we, we traveled down the road. So 
it was certainly a multiple space um, in that lounge area. And then we did similar things with our bathroom, similar things with um, the kids' bedroom space, and, and another um, similar thing with our bedroom where we had multiple functions. And uh, it worked really well. Um, it meant we all had our own space. We could all get away. Um, our, our bedroom was over the back of the engine at the back of the bus, but we could transform it into a study if we wished. Um, we could close it off completely um, and have our own privacy. Um, the kids' bedrooms was a series of three bunks and a um, – uh, we called it the kids' lounge, and they were two seats with a table, and that's where the kids could sit during our travel. So we actually had certified seat belts in there. Yeah. yeah. Under the seat was a freezer, um, and then we could convert the table into another bed so that kids could actually have a guest stay. Wow. And so we had just in case bunks. five wasn't enough. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So we would often have you know kids stay with us, which is really cool because. Um, um, so we had the bus certified as um, completely self-contained for nine. Really? Had, um, wow. And so we had tanks large enough to cater for nine black and gray tanks and power generation and water supply and all the rest of it. So we could go to dock camps and because we were self-contained, have friends come and stay with us. Mm. And um, no, it was a wonderful, wonderful yeah, uh, this is a nice looking bus too. I, I, when you first mentioned that, I, I was kind of thinking uh, hippie-ish, a bit rustic, and with the pot belly inside. But this is a, this is a good looking home. It, it was a lovely home. It's it was... a and it's a modern vehicle too, by the looks of it. Yeah, yeah. Have you downloaded the book? Uh, I've just had a look onto that. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes. That fun 45com You've got some amazing resources there for anyone who's. Uh, Looking at doing uh, some some compact design and and getting a, a home in, inside a bus, yeah, yeah. So that's what we've left it on the website actually. Yeah, so. that's that's a fantastic resource. So I, I imagine uh, you must have brought some of that that learning and some of that thinking into your design now as a as an architect back designing houses. Yeah, um, always very keen to have clients that would like. Um, smaller spaces, just well-designed spaces. Um, I got a bit tired, to be honest, of doing huge houses. In fact, we were living in a bus and I was doing multi-million dollar homes that were really huge. And when you try and convince clients that you don't need all the space, they... <laughs> they <laughs> so you were sitting in the back of the, this tiny little bus designing massive mansions? <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite crazy, really. And I don't know what they would have thought if the architect was sitting in a bus. But, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, um, they wouldn't listen to, to advice when it when we tried to offer it. But um, why? So, yeah, why please. was that? Why? Why is was there? A, why would they not listen? Um, I suppose they've got a, an idea of what they think home for them is, mm-hmm. and um, they had aspirations of large spaces and en suites for every child and. Guest yeah. bedrooms that um, you know impressed visitors. I I don't know. It's sort of maybe that was their ideal of success. But has it uh, changed? Yeah, I think with the tiny house movement, uh, and, uh, and I think people are starting to wake up um, definitely. But there's still people out there that want that. And and to be honest, if if someone comes to us now and wants um, to maximise their floor area, then we suggest that there's probably others that can help them better. Right, so you're a bit more selective with your clients now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, 
it's not going to work out um, because there's others that can. They can yeah. actually, um, produce as much, well, square meter rates that we'll never be able to compete with. Yeah, and, right. You know, you get what you get, basically. Yeah, yeah. Have you always considered yourself a green designer or an eco-architect? Um, no, I suppose I graduated, well, in 89, and I went out building and um, worked on worked for Jazzmax on the Museum of Tapapa. Um, yeah. And it was really only until I left all of that and went across to Australia and came across permaculture and decided – to come back and do the permaculture design course and then realised, no, that's what I want to do ever ever after that. And so create and, and apply permaculture to architecture. Right. Um, so how, that, do you do, how do you do it? You mentioned permaculture earlier on with regards mm-hmm. to the bus, but how does that manifest? Well, there's certain principles um, of permaculture that you learn when you do your course. Um, it's a design methodology based upon nature so a lot of it um starts with observation and just seeing how things natural things work there are basic principles like um there's a dynamic stability that comes with nature and one way you can apply that in whatever system you're creating including architecture is that suggestion i had before of having three or more things when you do something and after a while it becomes a bit like a cobweb where you get um, all the lines are actually affecting each other. When when something's pinged, you can you can feel it elsewhere. Or another way of thinking about it is riding a bike. When you've got movement and and um, you get more stability. So it's it's a it's a bit hard to explain. But one of the examples I've got is um, of three things. Uh, we built our own home in um, Fakamarama up on the Kaimo Range next to Tauranga, mm-hmm. and um, we um, we um, got an excellent rating under the Green Home Scheme, and one of the things that we did was um, use a Vamsla um, wood stove, which had a very efficient rating, having coming from Germany, mm-hmm. but um, an excellent firebox for using timber rather than coal. And so we created our own coppicing lot on on the land that we had. And then we looked at how many ways can we utilize the energy that came off the wood stove. And so obviously we could cook on it and we could um, use our oven. And we had a wet back that went up to a hot water cylinder. And yeah. um, we then went a bit further than that where the water return pipe went through our bathroom. Um, oh, and the whole thing was thermosiphoning, so we didn't need any pump, obviously. And we had solar panels that backed up the hot water system as well. When the porter water went back from the hot water cylinder back to the wet back in the oven, um, we put it through a towel warmer um, in the bathroom, and it kept our our bathroom lovely and dry throughout the whole winter period when we, the fire was going. Nice. Um, but then it went down below that and went through a radiator in a basement directly below the bathroom, and that's where our composting toilet was. Right. So it radiated and kept our composting toilet stoked, uh, nice and warm, so it. it it didn't stop over the winter period, and it also became a drying room um, with the amount of heat that built up in there. So that worked out really well. And then we pumped the, that that whole water once the hot water in the cylinder got up to temperature. We could use the water and pump it. We did have a little pump that um, did underfloor heating on our 
recycled matai floor that we insulated underneath on the, on the timber frame flooring that we had. And then we had a little one extra um, way of using the, the heat that was generated was the chimney went up through um, the bedroom directly above, and that was where the kids were. And then we had a little loft space um, that was our bedroom, and that was like three the third floor on this little um, house that we had. And so we get the heat off the chimney um, by having a grill that um, protected you from touching the, the thing but allowed the hot air to come out. Yeah, yeah. So we had basically six uses for the hot of the fire, the energy that came off this fire, and that was always our best example of applying this permaculture method of um, utilising or giving three uses for the, the energy that, that was generated or, or um, and it went really well. So every time you put the fire on, you'd have all of these things as a passive solution. You wouldn't have to do anything else, but you got all this return on this on this um, the energy that was created. Yeah, you'd almost want to keep the fire burning just to to keep all those systems in the house functioning. Well, we we didn't need to because um, uh, in in summer certainly we didn't need the extra heat. Yeah, we had right. Um, so it was only and it possibly you know it can get too hot in winter when you yeah. have a fire game. So. Um, um, it was only really the winter that we needed it. But the biggest thing was we had incredibly low power bills as a result. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it paid off handsomely. I think we had only had you know below $50 power bills because it was really only lighting. And so that was all born out of you asking that question, how many more uses can we get from this thing rather than just the the one obvious one? Yeah, basically, um, how can we link it or tie it into other things or incorporate it? And I suppose it's the same thing about the dining table and the bus. Yeah. Um, you know, how many ways can we um, stitch it into the uses for other things? Um, and that is a common theme of permaculture in, in that observation of nature in the way that in nature most things have more than one obvious use. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and everything basically finds a niche and, and an extra use, and and you can always find another way of doing something, and so it becomes more and more complex, and the diversity can increase as a result as well. So, I suppose that's something that um, that we look at, at putting into our designs, but also the integration of the land, so that it's not just the architectural solutions, but also the the way. Things are designed according to the house and, and the site and the, the wider environment when you start planning around the, the, the home or the, the section that we're dealing with. If someone mm. is coming to you for a new build or a renovation or, um, or perhaps they're just somewhere else and they're, they're thinking about a, a new home for themselves, what would be your top three recommendations for things to think about or to incorporate in their design? Okay. I think um, top of the one for me would be passive solar design and its orientation and siting. Yep. Um, that's going to you know, offer so much return and yield in terms of um, looking at the site and the resources that come into the site. So I'm talking about so, yeah, that's another one, I suppose, is the resources that come on the site, the sun, the wind, and the rain, um, collecting those resources that um, um, need we, to be Because we don't often think about wind and rain as resources. We we think of them as threats, yeah, things I to be guarded so. against. 
Yeah, but in fact, um, we, we, we need them. We need rain. We need um, um, drinking water. And um, you've got this free supply, this free resource falling on most of the time, a lot of the time. And so um, make the most of it. Um, a lot and, of and, and I guess the, the wind as well is useful for um, looking at where air movement comes from and using that for ventilation and cross flow and things like that. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, just where does the wind come in, in a hot summer's day? Do you mm. get a sea breeze? We're, we're lucky down here and we get very constant temperature, but a lot of that's because of the sea breeze that comes in off the sea. Yeah. So we get incredibly hot days with sun, but the, the, the ventilation or the, the sea breeze keeps us cool. So it's a very pleasant climate where we are down here. Yeah. Was, um, and that can be utilized, that can be enhanced, that can be um, adapted to, to, to make other environments, you know, really pleasant. Mm, mm. So I see all of those as definitely resources. So, so orientation on the section and passive solar design. Thinking about and passive solar design and thinking yeah. about your resources. Anything else? And um, yeah, I suppose uh, multi-functioning spaces. So again, this idea of three uses for for um, for things that you want to incorporate whether they be spaces and the use of those spaces or the items that you put in there, for instance, the, the generation of energy, whether it be solar panels for hot water or solar panels for photovoltaic or, or the use of a heating source like a, a wood stove and its relationship to wetbacks and, and the location in the house for heating and space heating and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you usually, now that you've kind of created a name for yourself and I, I guess you've got uh, a bit of word of mouth, do you mostly get people coming to you wanting uh, an eco house or do you sometimes get people who you have to kind of convince uh, to incorporate some sustainability features in the design? Um, we're starting to get more people that are, that are keen to do it. It seems to be a growing market, which is great. Yeah, great. Um, and and I suppose by letting people know that that's what we're keen on, we're also getting those people coming directly, which is which is nice. Yep. We still get the odd client that um, um, it possibly isn't their um, their well, I wouldn't say cup of tea, but at the same, well, it's not their focus, should I say? Yep. And um, uh, we're certainly therefore. You know, educating people to say, well, these are the benefits. You know, this is actually going to possibly save you money long term, um, or, or you know, you're going to get the yield from the resources if you do incorporate some of these things. And so, um, most people are into that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so putting so it back back in economic terms. Yeah, I suppose that's one way that um, some people hear it, um, which is nice. I think. There's a growing awareness that's something that um, we all really need to do just um, for the sake of the planet, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's always nice to have um, clients that are that are keen on 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 doing that in the first place. So um, they seem to be more aware, if you know what I mean. So that is a driver uh, for some people, just the the sense of responsibility, or are they mostly people wanting a, a, a healthier and more efficient home? I think it's both, but I think there's certainly more um, people that are driven to to seek solutions in that regard. Uh, there's a subdivision down here um, 
Atamai, which is an eco-village that's been specifically set up to, to explore permaculture solutions and eco-housing. And um, um, so you're getting people that are, are motivated and, you know, want to be off the grid because of that resilient side of things, but also, um, um, you know, living within their means yep. and um, um, setting up not just their houses, but their properties and permacultural um, examples so that there's um, food production and and yields that be that provide for them but also for the wider environment so you're actually giving something back yeah um, and that seems to be happening more and more you have got some stunning photos on your website so i'm definitely going to encourage people to go and check those out and hey. again i i just i don't want people to get the wrong idea when you um people might be thinking just green stuff and hippie stuff with thatched roofs and what straw bale yeah. when you talk about permaculture. But the some of these houses are very contemporary, very modern, very um, stylish looking houses. So um, it, I, I think that's really positive because it 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 that it dispels that myth that green has to be hippie. I I, I know what you mean. We call them muesli houses. Muesli, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and and uh, you know, good design I think has a, a a beauty quality to it as well. And yeah, um, and I think that's it's something that's really important to include, um, as well as all these other features. So, have you got a favourite that you've worked on recently? Oh, um, we, I was really happy with our house. We we basically wanted to create a permaculture house and so uh -huh. we built it ourselves and that's where we raised our family and I must admit um, we've got very fond memories of it and the um, the the solutions we we basically were a guinea pig for ourselves and that allowed us to um, uh, test out our ideas yeah. and, and also benefit from them and so I know they work um, we were the first in the Bay of Plenty to have a composting toilet, um, and um, the just the experience of going through it. In fact, the whole house was actually based around the loo because nice. the, the height that it needed for the, the space underneath yeah. the mass meant that I, I designed it with a, a like a half basement, but then the actual loo was was a half floor up, and and so that meant that if you wanted to go to the loo, you had to go up half a flight of stairs, and so it needed to be accessible, easily accessible, and um, and that's why the whole house started to get designed around this thing. Right, but, yeah, yeah. It's a bit hard to retrofit that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, But then all, just putting layers and layers of different ideas into that house, and that's actually what happened with the bus as well. We just mm. put more and more ideas, and um, it, 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 it starts to, well, it certainly paid back, and... Um, uh, was a was a lot of fun to build as well. So. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, uh, clearly you don't just do houses or, or new builds. You do uh, renovations as well, and you, you've also done a bit of commercial and education work. Mm. Um, it seems like it's a, a great joint venture that you've got there at uh, Bell Stevenson. Where, where can people get in touch with you and find out more if they want to uh, work with you? Well, um I suppose our best site uh, place to go would be our website, I suppose, um, Bell Stevenson Architects, and uh, if they Google that. And um, 
from there can email us or, or um, uh, give us a ring anytime and um, we're happy to chat. So, and, and you do work outside of the uh, Nelson Tasman region? Yeah, certainly do. Um, with this modern technology stuff these days, yeah. we, we can go anywhere. And actually, a lot of our clients are actually people from overseas that um, possibly want a house in our area. Right. Um, or we go and um, meet other people around the country and possibly come up, have a look at the site. I think that's really important. And then after that, and take lots of information, photos, you know, contouring and and stuff and and obviously meeting and meeting um, writing down the the needs of the the client, but then um, a lot of it can be done remotely using yeah. Skype or, yep. or whatever. So um, it can keep the price down. So nice. Uh, I've been getting around the country. I was up the Bay of Islands only recently, a few weeks ago actually, um, with a new client up there. So um, it's wonderful to be able to do those sorts of jobs. Yeah, yeah, picking up all the uh, all the nice spots around the country. Definitely. Hey, well, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. And uh, it's it's a fantastic story that you guys have got together down there and people are coming to you for the reason of wanting to create a, a, a more sustainable lifestyle. And, um, yeah, wish, wish you all the best for doing more of it in the future. Yeah, thanks very much. And thanks for your time and what you're doing with your, um, your interviews. Pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andrew Stevenson from Bell Stevenson Architects. And uh, as we discussed in that, I will put some links to the uh, great resources that Andrew's got for his luxury bus. Uh, It's quite incredible, actually. It's a very nice-looking interior, and indeed it's quite a modern bus. wouldn't mind having something like that to travel around with my family too. Um. And the the whole thing of, of permaculture, like Andrew said, permaculture isn't muesli. It's not necessarily a bunch of hippies in a straw bale house. There are some very contemporary designs, and I really like those basic concepts of permaculture, thinking about a design methodology based on nature, based on observing what's happening in nature, and the multifunctioning spaces and, and features as well, thinking about how can one feature in, in a house perform more than one service for you. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode. If there's anything that you took out of it, then please get in touch, matthew at homestylegreen.com, or you can leave a note on Facebook or contact me on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram. Now, we've got a few services available through Homestyle Green. If you are looking at doing a design or if you've started the process of engaging with a designer, then I'd love to help out. I can look at a design and give you a bit of a design review. I can help you create a scope. One of the the biggest challenges is knowing what to ask for, and that's something I'd love to help you out with. So, If you want some independent assistance with your design at the early stage, then please get in touch and I'll see if I can help. I'm also really keen to help if you are a professional and if you're looking at uh, attracting the right kind of clients and connecting with people who might be interested in your design services, then hook me up as well because I'm very interested in connecting people who need good designers with those good designers. Anyway, that's enough from me. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, go make a better place to live.